Welcome to Pittsburgh Tales, a podcast about the creatures of Western Pennsylvania and the people who care for and about them. I'm your host, Mitch Bernard. Today, I'd like to share my conversation with Carissa Clark Howe, a friend I met through knitting many years ago, who now has a therapy dog and a therapy cat. We started out talking about them, but we had some extra time, and I asked her about her professional and academic work as a Presbyterian pastor and doctoral candidate. Enjoy. How are you? I haven't seen you in ages. It's been, I was thinking about it last night. I think we probably have not seen each other since sometime when we were both at the yarn shop knitting because I, I, yeah, I think everything that I've seen of you has been on Facebook. Like you have now gone to seminary. You're finished with that. I'm on round three. (laughs) Yeah, I got. Did you not get it the first time? Was (laughs) I got a master's of divinity, and then I got a master's of theology, and now I'm working on my doctorate. Wow, that's amazing! And you weren't doing any of that when I saw you, when I knew you before. No, I don't think I. I don't think I even finished my bachelor's degree at that point. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we don't have probably enough time for me to get into like, because I would love to know sometime how like you came to this and what the difference between divinity and theology is. And yeah, we'll maybe put a pin in that for another time because okay, cool. I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, what I want to talk about is your dogs, which I also think were not at least a big part of your life back then. I don't remember uh, hearing about. So we did have a dog back then, but she was a total train wreck. <laughs> she was a neurotic <laughs> basket case. Um, she did have her canine good citizen and all of that, but she just wasn't a great public dog yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and we had a couple of cats, but they've since passed and we have three different cats now. Um, and I mean, one of them, <laughs> one of them is a certified therapy animal who does visits. Um, my dog now is in training, but we've been stalled on the testing because of COVID. Yeah. He just finished his canine good citizen and his therapy training and then COVID hit and we haven't been able to get his formal testing for therapy work. So, um, so the therapy... second, you have two dogs, correct? Just one now, just one. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. okay. So, and that's Pecos. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering yeah. that name right? Yeah. So um, how did you even find out about things like Canine Good Citizen from as a pet owner, like from the very beginning mm-hmm. in the first place? When we got our first dog, Sparkle, when she was a puppy, we did puppy training classes with her. And uh, we found out from the trainer about Canine Good Citizen. And it is the only AKC recognition that they will give to a mixed breed dog. She was yeah. a lab shepherd staffy mix. And uh, so that was, um, she got that. And then she did do the therapy dog training, but as she got older, she was not great around other dogs. She got really nervous around certain people. So it just yeah. wasn't in her best interest yeah. to move forward with doing therapy work. So yeah. that's how we originally found out about that. That's very cool. And did, were you doing all this training through the Humane Society at that time? Or do you remember? Was that around here? We, yeah, we were. We adopted her from um, what's now Humane Animal Rescue was then the Humane Society of Western Pennsylvania down on Western cool. Avenue. Cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, that's a nice, that's, they have a nice training space. Was, they do. Um, okay, so with Pecos, you, um, you've gotten this CG. CGC. Canine good citizen, I guess. Yeah. Is it really CGC? 
Um, and then where did you do the therapy dog? Was that therapy dog international or so with sparkle, we did therapy dog international training, um, with mm-hmm. Pekin, we worked with, a um, a private trainer that we met through, um, through the, um, pet store that oh, okay. we were, we purchased his stuff through and, um, we're planning on doing his certification through animal friends. They have a robust therapy right. animal program there. And that's who there is not a therapy cat international organization, yeah. um, yeah. because cats don't generally tend to enjoy that sort of work or do it well. Yeah. Um, but animal friends, yeah. yeah, not consistently, uh, but animal friends does have therapy cats and therapy rabbits. And so that's who my cat mm-hmm. Julius is certified through. And we'll plan on going through them with Pegasus as well when he's able to okay. go out in public. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's Therapets, I think is the name of their program. Mm-hmm. I think they're currently suspended because of COVID. They are. Yeah. Um, they're doing a few virtual visits, but that's okay. it. Yeah. Okay. So there's not really a lot of in-person stuff that you can do therapy wise right now. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm seeing a lot of hospice uh, when I go on a um, volunteer match, I see a lot of hospice um, uh, posting postings for people to come mm-hmm. um, do that, which uh yeah, that might be a that might be an avenue for us if we if we pursue this path with Roxy. Um, so, what kind of um, therapy do you have in mind, or have you done before that you think you might like to do with things? and Julius? Yeah, well, what Julius really loves to do is uh, literacy programs. He just shines in rooms full of people. He is not a sit on one person's lap for a while kind of cat. Yeah. He's a busybody. He's very gregarious. Um, so we primarily have gone out to libraries to meet with children, talk to them about, you know, here's how you care for an animal well. Here's how you pet Julius, right? Here's, you know, stay yeah. your hands out of his ears and things like that. Um, and he just loves that. He struts through the library like he owns the joint. Um, you know, just we've primarily been at the um, Carnegie Library downtown, but we've gone to Millvale and some other local libraries cool. as well. And do you keep him on a leash and harness when when he's doing that, or do they mm-hmm. let him roam free? Yeah. Oh no, no, he's on a leash and a harness. Yeah, yeah he walks. They, people have mistaken him for a dog. He's a seventeen pound cat, so yeah, he gets mistaken for a small dog sometimes. That's funny. Yeah. That's really, so did you, um, to get started with that, did you um, talk directly to the librarians at that branch or did you, is there a, is that through Animal Friends they hooked you up or Mm -hmm. how did that get started? Yeah, we, they match you through Animal Friends. They send out volunteer requests. This place has had a request. Uh, we have set up some um, as well. Um, So I'm, I'm a Presbyterian minister and I have um, I have congregants, parishioners who are in different uh, nursing home settings, and there's mm. one in particular who desperately misses her cat. Oh. So I've been able to set up, you know, contact Animal Friends and the the administration at that home to to set up appointments there. So I'm able to go in and we do like a group visit, which he really likes, and then we we go upstairs to visit his his friend up there from church oh. who. Um, she always sense. is excited when she sees me in my animal friends t-shirt rather than my clerical collar. She knows if I have the <laughs> animal friends God, but Julius is with me. <laughs> like yeah. Julius. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh yeah. yeah that's gotta be just so difficult. I can't imagine how 
mm-hmm. what it's like to leave a pet behind if you have to go into a any kind of a different home situation um, without your pet. I hope that we can get better as a community about working with people on that. But um, that is really that is really neat, and that was uh, also through. Um, animal friends, or was that something that you set up with that particular facility to do independently? Sort of both, uh, the way it works when an animal is, um, when they're certified through animal friends, if you know of a place you would like to take them, then you can connect with animal friends and get them in touch with the administration there to get them approved as a site. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, that makes sense. Some it sites will allow some. dogs, but not cats because of allergies. Right, right. Things like that. Yeah, people are just, I think, more skeptical of (laughs) cats' ability to. Yes. (laughs) Friendly. That's very interesting, though, because I I have a cat who um, I who is very social, loves people, loves to greet people, um, but I've been thinking that maybe it's he's not reliable about you know just like going one person going to one person and wanting to be held or petted or something, but something like that literacy program or a group visit at a nursing home or something mm-hmm. could be really his thing. And that would be so nice to give him a little bit more um, enrichment because he just, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's young and energetic still. He's seven, but somehow he's very, he's still my kitten. He'll always be my kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that is really neat to know. I'll have to talk to someone about at Animal Friends about the program and um, mm-hmm. get sort of the big picture from them. Um, you mentioned your parishioners. Have you ever, um, do you have any kind of program through the church itself that is um, that involves animals, therapy animal viewers or others? Not yet and not officially. Uh, we were actually starting to talk about that as part of um, Pecos's therapy work. Right. Um, when when I go to the office, he frequently comes with me because why not? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a giant building, and I'm often the only one there. Yeah, and you know, I've seen him do things like I had a um, seminary student with me at one point who was just having a rough day. I was just sitting on the the floor of my office as we were talking and he just saddled up next to her and sat down as she pet him and talked. And he just has this natural um, kinship to those who are not, um, not having their best day. I think he's just been through a lot and gets it. Yeah. Did you choose him for um, with therapy work in mind or just, just happens that he's got that kind of personality? That was on our list when we were considering getting a, another dog after sparkle died. Um, mm-hmm. we had a list of, of what we wanted in a dog. And one yeah. thing was we didn't want a puppy because puppies are a nightmare and we're, yeah. we're done with that. <laughs> like no more babies, no more puppies. No. And, um, and we wanted one that had the kind of personality that could do therapy work specifically. Right. So he could be part of my ministry at work. So it is my intention to start building him into that at some point. That is really great. What um what kinds of things did you what did you know to look for when you were choosing? Because it's not everybody has an intuition for what makes a good therapy dog. Or I know that there are lots of different kinds of therapy dogs, but in your case, like for the kind of work that you want to do, 
they need to be reliable around other dogs, especially mm-hmm. to be a public dog. Um, I, I think that Pecos is probably delighted to be the only dog in the house, but yeah. he is also perfectly fine with other dogs. Uh, they need to be reliable around all people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we actually met him at our gym. A friend of ours had been fostering him and she said he doesn't bark. He rides really well in the car. He seems wow. to love everybody. And we met him there and there's barbells dropping people running around yeah. everywhere. And he was just happy to sit there with my son and Aww. hang out and greet everybody gently. And, that's uh, so that's, that's how we knew, you know, the distractions yeah. didn't freak him out. The people didn't freak him out. Yeah. He's just, he is what he is in any situation. <laughs> He's like totally reliable. And so great. Situation. I love that. Yeah. We are, our, our- dog Roxy seems like she's that way. Although we haven't done a lot of testing with it because COVID, but yeah. Um, yeah. Foster, foster parents can be such a great resource for potential adopters. I think because they have seen the dog in so many situations other than a shelter kennel, which, yeah. you know, can really alter how a dog behaves in good ways and bad ways. So it's really nice to know, really what the dog is like in a real life situation. I always encourage people to, to go through foster, some kind of foster situation, whether it's a foster home for one of the big shelters or a foster based rescue. It's just, they always have just such a wealth of information. And he was how old when you got him? We think he was around three or four. He mm-hmm. has a fun story. He was found running the streets of San Bernardino about two years ago and he's a Staffordshire Terrier American Bulldog mix. So he's yeah. a giant, beefy, blockheaded dog. And they don't do well in county shelters. He was yeah. in a high kill county shelter out there. So a, a foster based rescue out on the East Coast shipped him out, I think, with some other dogs. We're not, we don't know all the exact yeah. history. And that's how our friends got connected with him, fostering him. That's yeah. Great. That's great. Yeah, it's really interesting how different, um, not just different parts of the country, but also different pockets, even in like in Pennsylvania, rural versus urban and certain mm-hmm. towns do uh, have different approaches and different situations with regard to what kinds of dogs they have and how they mm-hmm. can house them. You know, I always see stories online about, you know, this dog that's been in a shelter for seven years or something. And I think, wow, that is amazing that there's a facility or a rescue or whatever that can um, accommodate that because I just don't know of, of rescues, many rescues at least that can, that can take care of an animal for that long. You know, there's just, there's so many difficult choices that they have to make about resources. So that's unusual. Um, Yeah, that's great. That's really cool. Um, I hope that you'll send me a picture to post on the website with. I sure will. Actually, with both of them or each of them separately would be really cool. Mm-hmm. It would be nice. Um, For sure. I can give you Jul- I can give you their Instagram handles too. Yes, please do. We will link to those. Oh, that's fun. But, yeah, because I would like to follow though. I don't follow a lot of. I don't check Instagram often enough because I um, have a tendency to engage in retail therapy, and Instagram <laughs> is just. Uh, 
pit of, you know, advertisements, but um, it's all social media is, I should not diss Instagram, but yeah, it's, uh, it it has so many, there's so many good pet accounts and things. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much. I, 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 um, maybe we do have a few minutes to talk about your clergy stuff, if you don't mind. Sure. I don't mind at all. Um, Yeah. So how did you make a decision that that was a path you wanted to take at all in the first place? Um, I don't know that it was so much a decision that I wanted to do it as it was finally an acquiescence to the fact that God wasn't going to let me do anything else. You felt Um, like there were messages, clear messages to you. This is what you need to do. Yeah. I, um, I grew up Presbyterian. The church has always been a large part of my life and the water I, I swim in. And, um, I think I knew from the time I was a little child that this was what I was supposed to be doing, um, Mm. but kind of ran pretty hard from that part of my identity. Um, and so just through, um, encouragement of friends and family who knew me well, and just the path that my life naturally kind of went in, um, that became the obvious choice. So um, and it is difficult and frustrating work, especially these days. Yeah, I'm sure. But, um, I also can't really imagine doing something else either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's not a bad thing to be in yeah. a situation where you know that you're doing what you are built to do. Um, yeah. and so you started, uh, with this uh, masters in divinity, mm-hmm. masters of divinity, and um, what is the focus of that as opposed to the masters in theology? It's really like a professional degree versus an academic degree is really the big oh, okay. the big difference. So the masters of divinity is the um, kind of the professional degree that's required by many mainly line denominations in order to be ordained. Okay. Um, the masters of theology. Like I said, it's more of an academic, it's thesis-based, research-based theology degree. Was there more, and is the seminary specifically Presbyterian or is it non, it's just any Christian faith or how does that work out? Uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, which is where I went and am back at for my, my doctorate of ministry. It is um, a Presbyterian institution, but it has students from all different denominations. They have a large United Methodist population, um, lots of Pentecostals just, you know, being in Pittsburgh Mm. um, and uh, even like some Roman Catholic folks. Mm -hmm. So um, it is a pretty diverse denominational place. Yeah. And I did the the master's in theology really to explore is PhD work next for me or is parish ministry next. Um, and those and are I'm more exclusive? Not necessarily, um, but the PhD work is, is again, it's more the academic work that's required if, if I wanted to like teach at a seminary level or something oh, like that. Um, that whereas, um, now I'm not sure. So the, the doctoral program I'm in is a doctorate of ministry, which is more like the professional degree okay. version. So, um, and that's really, um, exploring deeper work with congregations and figuring out kind of what my, my niche is there. Cool. So that might lead to, um, leadership, uh, 
wider scale than mm-hmm. a single parish, perhaps. Yeah. Small or whatever. Yeah. So what um, distinguishes Presbyterian from other Protestant or other Christian um, lines? Yeah. Broadly speaking, uh, the word Presbyterian just refers to the structure of the church government. Uh, So there are various different Presbyterian denominations. Some of them are much more conservative um, than the one that I'm in. I'm a member of the PCUSA, which is kind of known as one of the big liberal mainline denominations, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Um, But there are some others. Um, And it's sort of, it's representationally based government of church government. So we have um, in any church, you have elders who are elected out of the congregation who help to make the decisions for that congregation. And in each presbytery, which is sort of the Presbyterian equivalent of, of a Roman Catholic diocese, okay. mm-hmm. um, there are representatives from different congregations and then also the minister members of that presbytery who make decisions for that area. Right. And then it goes on to our synods and our general assembly um, as cool. well. Um, We're also part of the Reformed uh, theological family, which um, includes, um, uh, it's different than like United Methodist, they're in um, the Wesleyan tradition. Um, We're closer kin to like United Church of Christ um, Hmm. and some other ones like that. These are all terms I have heard and never really knew what they meant. (laughs) Reformed Wesleyan. (laughs) Very Yeah, that would be a whole other thing I'd love to explore sometime. Yeah, that would be a very long conversation. Would it? Well, I know <laughs> that I would, ha- I would happily engage in, but yeah. That's yeah. really neat. And how um, how far into this doctorate are you? How much farther do you, you know, further do you have to go? Um, chronologically, I'm about halfway through. Ooh. I'm hoping my daughter, my daughter graduates high school in 24. So my goal is to finish this before she graduates high school and goes to college, um, targeting finishing it in 23. So I'm about halfway through. Um, we're finishing up our seminar classes um, that we that we do um, and getting ready to really dig into the research and writing portion. Right. And have you chosen a topic for your thesis? Yeah. So I haven't landed precisely on where I want to go. But broadly, I'm I'm exploring the idea of um, place and nostalgia. And, you know, because in Pittsburgh, we have all of these little churches, and this is true of any mainline denomination, Roman Catholic, Mm -hmm. Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian. We have all these little churches in every single neighborhood. Um, Some of them have like five people coming on a Sunday morning. Some of them Mm -hmm. have 25. And um, for many of them, the two that I serve included, the, the only thing preventing them from coming together and worshiping together and becoming a larger, stronger community is their, their stinking building <laughs> that they've had for 150 years and refuse to get out of. And so there's, there's something both beautiful about place and tradition and being where you were baptized and married and all of that. Mm. But there's also something very um, dangerous and restrictive mm. about being too locked into that place as mm. the um, definition of your faith community. That is very so. interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. 
I can, I mean, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about my own background. And yeah, that's, um, I can see where that is. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of nostalgia, a lot of wistfulness for the origins of my, mm-hmm. of my faith. And that's, um, yeah, it's powerful. It's very like emotionally, it's it very powerful. So I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. That's, yeah. um, and that's not just true in the Christian communities either. You know, you think about yeah. the power of a place like Jerusalem, <laughs> right, um, right? Where yeah. you've got various different religions coming together because this this one place has such significant meaning, and so place yeah. can both be um, it can both be encouraging and important and deep and spiritual, and it can also be dangerous. Yeah, I mean, all the conflicts that go on in some parts of the world are rooted in those identities, like, you know, identifying with a particular place as, you know, ours. That's, uh, yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I can't wait to read it as you develop. Yeah. (laughs) As you develop your pieces. Uh, Well, it was really nice to catch up with you and, um, yeah a little bit and I'm glad that you're doing well and that your animals are doing so great. It's so nice to <laughs> see someone who's not maybe part of traditional rescue, you know, or work, um, who is so um, committed to enrichment for their animal and participating with that animal in the community. You know, a lot of pet owners, if you will, are just um, not uh, maybe not taking those extra steps. And I, I'm sure that it makes a big difference in quality of life of those animals, as well as the people that they, that they need. So, thank you so much for doing that. You're and welcome. For being here this morning. I hope that the rest of your day is productive and your weekend is great. And, you know, break a leg. Whatever Thanks. Your <laughs> Thanks very Thanks. much. Talk to you it's later. Good to talk to you. Take care. You Bye. You've been listening to my conversation with Carissa Clark Howe. For more information about Carissa and the things we talked about, visit pghtales.com. That's P-G-H-T-A-I-L-S dot com. Pittsburgh Tales is a podcast about the creatures of Western Pennsylvania and the people who care for and about them. It was created and is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mitch Bernard. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, or you'd like to be on the show, email me at mitch at pghtales.com. Thanks for listening.